Hi, my name is Leslie Bustard. Welcome to the Square Halo, a place for conversation with friends who have shared their ideas in our Square Halo books. In this episode, I speak with singer-songwriter Joy Ike. We talk about her essay from It Was Good, Making Music to the Glory of God. Joy, we met, I figured it out, because you put it on Facebook about when you were doing the concert, the tour with Hiram Ring and two other artists. And it was 2009, mm-hmm. and you were at Wheatland. And so our youngest daughter was... That was 10 years ago. So she would have been about eight. And you came to our church, Wheatland Presbyterian Church in Lancaster. And we were there really to see Hiram because he was at our church and we were friends with Hiram. But Ellie sees you playing and she is enthralled. And we have never seen her enthralled the way she was enthralled with you. Mm. She like ran up to us and was like, we need to get her CD. (laughs) So we became fans pretty quickly after Mm. that. And that's when... Good morning. The first one. I think it was your first one. I feel like very soon after that, rumors came out. Mm-hmm. I remember painting my girl's room listening to one of those CDs because mm-hmm. I wanted to get to know more of your sound and who you were because we were so excited to get to know you. So I don't remember that. I don't know how the other things happened. Like, I don't know how I got in contact with you. But when you would be in Lancaster, it was a couple of times. I got in contact with you and I'm like, come, have dinner with us. Mm -hmm. Total strangers. And then I think then we became friends. And even though you were still in Pittsburgh Mm -hmm. at the time. So when you were in Lancaster, because you played in Lancaster often, I feel like even starting near the beginning. Yeah. Um, So that was the very, that was the very beginning. Ellie was our was our connecting. She just got very excited Uh, about music. And she still has loved your music. And she just graduated from high school. And I I was very bold. And you weren't available, which I totally understood. I'm like, could you come to her graduation party and sing Hold On? You're like, Mm. not able to do that right now, which I totally understood. Mm -hmm. But because we had spent the year listening to Bigger Than Your Box, Mm -hmm. driving to and from school. But then her youth pastor... um, He's not her youth pastor anymore, but was for most of the her high school years. He also sings, and he had sung at Maggie's graduation. So the Thursday before her graduation party, I texted him. I'm like, could you sing at her graduation party? And here's the song. He's like, well, let me see if I can figure it out. And he did. So it was kind of like John Foreman from Switchfoot singing a Joy Ike song. <laughs> and we'll eventually send you the video too. The, the video for it. I love it. Um, so along the way, between then, 2009, and now, uh, I think Ned's designed some of your t-shirts, a couple of your mm-hmm. t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. And that's been really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this year, we got reconnected because you spoke at our school when I asked you to come speak. Yeah. Um, so that was really cool. But in 2013 right in 2013 that was when we were working on the it was good making music to the glory of god mm-hmm. so ned asked you to write an essay yeah, and you did yeah. mm-hmm. what was that like had you written essays before i hadn't um i'd never written an essay before and i actually never want to go back and read that one because i know you keep saying of what i'll what i'll read <laughs> right uh, but uh I've always loved, I I wrote about vocation, I've always loved talking about work, um, you know, work ethic, but what it looks like to 
think big but start small and yes. grow things um, strategically. Um, and I, I'd always kind of thought that way um, or had that kind of way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always kind of considered myself a dreamer. Um, but someone who wanted things to grow strong and grow well. Yes. Um, and so I always had that understanding. Even when I was a kid, I remember, uh, you know, in youth group and even in college being the one that wanted to promote events happening on campus or at church or whatever and, like, wanting to figure out, okay, how, how are we going to do this well? First, we need to figure out where the, the event is and the time and all that stuff. We need to get all of our, our ducks together, and then we need to make the flyer, and then we need to let people know, and then we need to follow up and let them know about it again as the date gets closer. And so there's always this like systematic way I had of thinking about how to um, do something, how to promote something, and, and really just how to make things grow, and that um, translated directly into... Uh, my music making. Well, that is what your essay was. It kind of spells some of those ideas out, taking and then thinking about it biblically too. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk about that a little later. But I remember when we were working on the book, and Ed was like, "I would like you to write," and I remember you being like, "Not <laughs> that okay." So yeah. then, very wonderful memories is that somehow through some people that we knew down in Nashville who also were they were in the book they mm-hmm. wanted to do the uh, a book party they wanted to have a, a thing over, mm-hmm. around this book and we did a road trip together yeah we are not road trip people you are much more of a road trip person <laughs> than we are but we rented a car it was the three of us and two of our daughters mm-hmm. and then another friend mm-hmm. and we drove all day and yeah. got down to Nashville um and so that has always been just one of those lovely things in my mind mm-hmm. when I think about things that we've gotten to do and be people we've been with was doing a road trip yeah. down from Lancaster to Nashville yeah. um, to celebrate the It Was Good book. And now that was 2013. So here we are in 20, mm-hmm. 2019. Yeah. Um, so during that road trip, mm-hmm. I don't remember exactly when like what part of the road trip we were on. I think we were closer. We were getting closer to Nashville. Mm-hmm. I pull out this little essay that had been given to me by another friend. And he had just been to some type of conference that Mako Fujimaro had had been leading. It might have mm-hmm. been an IM conference. And they had printed a bunch of little booklets about... The, the, almost it was like the introduction essay to what would be his book, Culture Care. Mm-hmm. And it gave like the big idea of what culture care was. And I was so drawn mm. to his ideas in there. It was almost like he had taken ideas that had been running around in my brain and gave words mm-hmm. to things that were longings in my heart and ways that I had been trying to live and figure out how to to put words to it, he did. And it was around that time that I was starting to lead a theater group within the homeschooling organization that I was part of. And that even helped me, gave me a vision for why am I, why am I leading a theater group with teenagers? So I pulled that out and I read it out loud Mm -hmm. to everyone in the car. And I, unless I'm making this up, Mm -hmm. I feel like you were listening to it and it was enlarging your imagination i just remember you being excited yeah about it yeah Um, i i love 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 that that little booklet and it was probably about uh two two or three years ago two or three years prior to that i'd been at a conference in pittsburgh 
um, called Jubilee. It's a, it's a college conference, and uh, students come and learn about vocation and work and what it looks like to live out your calling as a Christian, as a believer, but out in the world and not necessarily in the church. Um, often we think of missions as something that's happening in other countries, but this kind of uh, this conference has been and was a game changer for me. And so I was invited there. This was probably like 2000 and I don't even know. I'm not sure what year, but um, I was on a panel with Mako, and I and I answered a question. And then a few minutes later, he answered a question, and I immediately thought to myself, "Wow, okay, I'm not supposed to be on this panel." <laughs> that was a humbling moment. Yeah, it was a real humbling moment. I was like, "Wow, this man has so much wonderful stuff to say," um, and so I I knew of him, but it was just kind of like a fleeting introduction, mm. and it wasn't until that car ride. Uh, listening to that book and just hearing some of his um, thoughts and really maybe I would consider it a theology of, you know, he calls it a theology of making, but a theology yes. of um, culture care. It was the first time that I had really had like an intimate introduction to um, what, it, what it would and what it could look like to make thoughtful art. Um, and really, I had spent the f- those first few years of music making thinking that I knew what I was doing and having a little bit of an idea, but that book was what really kind of created some kind of solid foundation for me to, to stand on and to work from. Mm-hmm. And um, I loved the booklet so much that I ended up ordering the Culture Care book, and then with it came a bunch of little booklets. And so I still have about three of those booklets left, and I give away one of those booklets every time I, like, you know, meet someone or have a conversation with someone who like really gets it. Yes, I have <laughs> and done it's like the a little same treasure. thing. Mm-hmm. After I got that little booklet, I emailed them. I'm like, do you have any more? Yeah. Because I need to give this to certain people that I'm working exactly. with. Exactly. I did the same thing. Yeah. Maybe I even made sure you had it. I don't remember. But <laughs> I, I, remember, I think, I think you this gave me a lovely mm-hmm. connection. Like what I was seeing, you were seeing. Mm. And that was really that was wonderful yeah um i know for me with the culture care ideas when he talks about being generative and Mm -hmm. thinking about caring for the soul of your the culture Mm -hmm. um, and he kind of he breaks it down in that in that little essay about being gener being generative looks like uh, giving others genesis moments Mm -hmm. um, being generous and also being generational Mm. i don't know if i've simplified because i because I want to talk about you just went to the conference, mm-hmm. the culture conference. But those four thoughts, mm-hmm. those G words, they guide me when I'm working in different, um, especially because I still work with a theater department that mm. uh, I'm out. I'm not working with homeschoolers. I did that for three years. Now I'm into my fourth year working at a at a school and running the theater department. And when I think about why are we doing this and how do I stay on track? Mm-hmm. I keep those ideas in my mind. Yeah. We're being generative. There's a lot of generosity happening so these students can be equipped so they can be generative. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're we're being generational. Yeah. Um, and we're creating, but we're creating for the good for them, but for the good of of our whether it's our school culture and community mm-hmm. or or for the people who are coming in and watching yeah and it's like planting seeds mm-hmm. of goodness yeah for people um yeah how about for you what are some a few things when you think about um culture care whether it's from that essay or you just were in i, I feel like it was in the winter mm-hmm. you were in california mm-hmm. at fuller 
Fuller Seminary, Fuller yeah. Seminary. Yeah. And it was the Brems the Brem Center. Arts Center, the Brem, Brem Arts yeah. Center, and it was a culture care conference. Right. Talk a talk a little bit about that. Oh man, there's so much to say. Yeah, you know, for me, the whole idea of culture care um, is something that makes so much sense, and it's kind of like this, like, this like oh yeah or oh duh mm-hmm. kind of feeling when I think about um, what what it what it feels like or what it looks like to make art that you know is generative and that pulls people in and gives people life instead of sometimes I think of it as like a you know this tire you either are putting air into the tire mm. or you're sucking the air yes. out, of, out of the tire and you know we have that option as art makers to do one or the other um, I think you can't do both it is, it's either one or the other you're either infusing life into things and bringing um, hope into a yes. situation or taking the hope out of a situation. Uh, and, you know, maybe you can be neutral and maybe you can stay in the middle, but that's no fun. <laughs> it does feel like whether it's music or writing or even the visual arts, mm-hmm. it's like the artist is either inviting you in yeah. and almost like loving the viewer. Yeah, exactly. Um, loving the person who's who's looking at it or listening or he's... Yeah. Or she attacking or holding yeah. off at a distance. Exactly. Because they've made it more about themselves yeah. than about. But it's I very hear true. Your too. Yeah, I mean, I wholeheartedly agree with that. For me, um, art and music making, the reason I started making music was because I grew up in the church and had never spent any time outside of the church. Uh, and when I graduated from college, it was like my first time, my first opportunity to um, encounter and meet people who didn't come from a similar faith background as, as I did. And I just felt this huge gaping divide um, between mm-hmm. my peers, and I didn't really have a way to talk with them. Yes. And I had these truths that, that I held so dearly to, and I wanted to be able to share them with other people, um, but I didn't know how. Um, and was it was because I spent so much of my life kind of thinking of them as the other mm-hmm. and not really having a way to... Um, invite people into conversation but even more importantly allow myself to enter into their conversations the um, listening yeah and, and be the listener for once and i think a lot of times in the church we always approach conversations uh with the answer um, and that's really what i think genesis moments are you know mm-hmm. being able to instead of give the answer maybe even pose questions so that people can have their own genesis moments mm-hmm. and start asking uh asking or thinking uh, thoughtfully about questions and uh the music was that for me and also being able to kind of see that written out um and clearly sh- uh, clearly conveyed in culture care was so helpful because I wanted to be able to really genuinely connect with people um, and not kind of stay in a safe bubble that I'd grown up in because um, I just felt there was I just felt a, a divide and I felt like I couldn't I couldn't exist well if my world was always split Yes. But I'd always felt like my world was split. And, and I, I share a lot about this at shows. I always felt like at home I was living in a Nigerian, you know, in a Nigerian world. Um, and, you know, my parents speak, would speak Igbo at home. My grandma um, raised us while my mom was in school. And so it was like, that was my world at home. But then in school, everyone was American. And so I was always like straddling fences. Um, and so my faith was also a fence. And, or my faith also kind of kept me divided and I feel like there was a fence in between what I believed and who I spent my time with and the rest of and everyone else 
Um, and so anyhow, culture care was the one thing that made me um, really be able to understand what it meant to, instead of um, reinforcing the divides, kind of closing the gaps and building the bridges and um, sharing life with other people mm. and doing it well. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> Such a great... I was so grateful for th- those words mm-hmm. that he gave us, you know, and, and how even from hearing what I'm, you're thinking things, you were able, you were able to go this uh, one direction mm-hmm. and how that helped form you in your art making. Even just hearing you say, what does Genesis moments mean? Mm. Asking questions. And yeah. I, I, I was listening into his ideas of Genesis moments was offering people the opportunity to also create. What I'm grateful for is that he gave us these Genesis moments to move forward. Yeah. You know, and, and it's easy for me to want all the right answers. Like I want to make sure I'm filling in the boxes. Okay. Mm -hmm. But he opens it really wide, which allows us these words for me, maybe for you opened it wide so Mm -hmm. that I could, have a vision and a way to go forward, but also it could be surprised by the journey mm, as well. Yeah. Like, what is it going to offer? Yeah, as we interact with people and care for people and create goodness. Yeah. Um, so you so you good. did put a quote. Um, see if I can pull it out and read it because um, it was so encouraging the way you said it. You said about your time at the conference, cultivating care through the arts is about bringing hope into hopeless places redeeming restoring and resurrecting hope mm-hmm. so why what brought you to some of those ideas when mm-hmm. when you were there or what were you seeing or learning that wow. helped you make those connections wow that's a really good question <laughs> i i think like you know for me the culture care conference was reinforcing a lot of things that i had um I've been wrestling with and thinking through, you know, my whole career of making music um, and maybe just helping me to, like, formulate those ideas a little bit better. Um, And so I would say, like, I've always... um, I've always wondered, okay, what does it look like to uh, go into a room and know that people are coming from all different walks of life and they're coming from all sorts of situations who knows what their day was before they got there um what would it look like to do a concert and instead of um it being a self-serving experience where people are there to kind of praise me or to um see how great of a singer songwriter i am or whatever um what what if it could be a place where they feel restored you know mm-hmm. or a place where they feel like oh i'm so glad i came because i really needed that Whereas I could have stayed home and just, you know, watched something on Netflix. And uh, for me, doing concerts is really a form of hospitality, um, a, a way to like make people feel comfortable and feel at home and just feel rejuvenated after a difficult week, difficult month, difficult life. <laughs> I don't know. Yes. And uh, yeah, and and I love whenever I hear other people talking about art making in that kind of way because I think that's what art is really supposed to be um, and it always gives me so much joy as as a viewer not just as a creator but as a viewer and as like a, a participator to go into spaces where art can be that for me and mm-hmm. so I always want to and hope to do that for other people so it's almost a way for an artist to fulfill 
Christ's commandment of love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, mm -hmm. and love others love as others. you love yourself. Because this idea of hospitality, yeah. how do you find yourself trying to practice hospitality mm. when you're performing? What does that look like? Yeah. Um, so there's a song that I that I wrote on the most recent album called Say Goodbye. And uh, it's the song in, in short is really about saying goodbye to all the lies that I have fed myself over the last 12, 15 years now of creating and going to show and you know telling myself okay you you're you're not as good as the as the next musician therefore you can't be here you know just like moments of tearing myself down and just you know kicking myself for hitting wrong notes or you know forgetting my words or not doing the best show that I could have done um, and I was stuck in that space for so many years and, and there was some moment that I had I think this was like 2017 so recent and I remember having this like aha moment and it had taken months to kind of kind of develop this thought and I realized wow what I'm what I'm doing at a show is not about me it's not entertainment um, it can count as entertainment but it's not just entertainment and I and I hope that it's also engagement and I hope that people feel welcomed and so there was this moment where I realized, okay, if, if it is strictly entertainment, then it does become about how people see me. And what if I turn the tables around and instead of making it about how, how people see me, Joy Ike, the brand, the performer, what, it, what if it was about me seeing people and me mm. taking time to kind of like read the room and, and ask myself, okay, well, what song should I do next? Like, what would be a good precursor to this song? What would be a good follow-up? What, what, what are some things that I can tie together? What are some themes that I can tie together in a set? You know, how can I address something that, you know, we all saw on the news that morning and speak to it and, and encourage an audience? Um, and so at the end of the day, you know, I want to go into a show knowing that I'm not going to hang out in the green room until I play and then go back to the green room afterwards, but be out and about in the audience thanking people for actually being there um, because that has become so much more important to me in the last few years when I realize how much, how much, uh, or how easy it can be to stay at home and mm -hmm. stay comfortable just because it's mm -hmm. just the, the, the generation that we're in right now. Um, we, we want to stay indoors more and we want to you know, hide behind social media um, or stay where it's comfortable. And so I know that no one ever has to show up to a show. And for me, it's a gift to have people come out. And so for I, I, I hope to be able to... Um, you know, spend time acknowledging people's presence at shows and uh, really just hopefully making them feel comfortable so that by the time they get onto the stage that has already been established and they're already there and they're already present. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's such a way to um, mirror Jesus. Yeah. Because Jesus goes into situations and he's paying attention mm. and he's paying attention to the people that are there. Yeah. And I... That was the word that was coming to my mind as I was thinking about what you what you do. You're you're working at paying attention, mm, being attentive mm. to the people, and and then maybe even dying to yourself mm. so that you can show care to yeah. the the community. So 
I love thinking about those things. About mm. I already mm. love hospitality mm-hmm. and the idea that hospitality is about caring and hospitality can be about um, strengthening bonds of community mm-hmm. or strengthening weakness mm. or bringing encouragement. So I'm I'm so enc- I am encouraged by mm. these ideas of your art making and being on stage, being a way to show hospitality, mm. the yeah. way of showing Jesus to people, whether they know they're seeing what Jesus is like or not. You know, yeah, that's good. <laughs> so in your essay, so you, re- you wrote for us, you wrote for our, it was good making music to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and your talk, your essay was about work as worship, but really when you dug into it, it was about vocation, mm-hmm. about calling and that idea that vocation is about responding to a call, Yeah, you know, and for us as Christians thinking of that call be given to us by the Lord, mm-hmm. you know, he's voicing something to us and then we walk out in it. And I noticed then you were also saying this when you were at jubilee this year this was your third year speaking at jubilee Mm -hmm. and you said that's what you were going to be talking about about vocation being different than a Mm -hmm. career yeah or or a job Mm -hmm. sometimes as we ned and i have walked through um, ned being an artist and a graphic designer and being self-employed Sometimes that really helps pay the bills, yeah, but sometimes yeah. other mm-hmm. things have to help pay the bills, but the calling and the vocation has always been about art making. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how is vocation different than a job or a career? Mm. Kind of lay a little bit of that, of yeah. how you would say, like, what are some things that you've, that you've discovered mm-hmm. and maybe things that you have found are, are helpful to share with other people? Yeah, I mean, I think that the the biggest difference between calling or vocation and career is one. I would I would argue that one has more to do with purpose than the other, mm-hmm. um, but that in the best case scenario, the two of them combine. You know, mm-hmm. you're doing something that you not only love and that is self serving in the sense that it pays bills and does very practical things. But it also gives you a sense of purpose where you're you're creating something or doing something that is usually like more ex- external. You know, it's not just providing for what you need in life, but it's also being able to help and provide for what other people need. Mm-hmm. So Square Halo, for example, it's creating something that edifies other people um, and gives them a window to see the world through. Mm-hmm. But it's so cool that it also doubles as how you guys sustain, you know, yourselves. And I think that calling and career, when they come together, even though they are different, when they come together, it's it's just the best case scenario. But it's not always, right? It, it doesn't mm-hmm. always get to be that best case yeah yeah it doesn't always i mean sometimes you are you know i find that in the arts world most artists are doing something Mm -hmm. nine to five and then doing their art five to nine right and i don't think there's any shame in that i feel like i'm always having conversations with artists who kind of glorify the idea of being a full-time artist and it's not really all that fun all the time Because you don't get to focus on the joy and the love of creating, you also have to think, okay, how can I keep myself afloat? Yes. And I There's hate that There's probably a pressure and a striving. Yeah. That's about survival. Yeah. Of create as you're, as mm-hmm. you're creating. Yeah. I, I think, like, I've, I've definitely been in that place of... Uh, 
wanting to learn how to re-love what I do mm-hmm. uh, while also making sure that I am paying the bills and right. you know, paying rent and taking care of things that I need. And also just not always in a mode of trying to catch up with life because I'm gone mm-hmm. for so long mm-hmm. and I'll come home and I'll, you know, trying to kind of reconnect with friends and, and, and go that route. So it's a burden and it's a blessing, you know. And I think that that can happen sometimes, too. Definitely. I think on this side of Christ returning, those things that are our vocation are going to not always go smoothly mm-hmm. because we're still waiting for, right. for the the consummation of all good things yeah. you know, as Christ returns. Yeah. So there's going to be things that aren't going to fit easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. And many mm-hmm. times it is how am I getting the bills paid? Yeah. Or what does success look like? Yeah. You know, and I know that's a conversation we've had a lot with each other and with other people as artists. Yeah. What does success mean? Uh, I think we're always going to be having those oh, conversations. Oh, yeah. Oh, that question. I mean, we started, <laughs> and I started asking those questions, you know, when we were first married. Yeah. Then, you know, we've been married for almost 30 years, and we're still wow. asking, like, we're still grateful for the goodness, mm-hmm. but then you still say, well, now what does success look like? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a question that, you know, it, just when I think I, I found the answer and I'm like content with, you know, my definition of success, I have to, you know, I run into some big hurdle that makes me ask myself once again, are you really content with what you have, where you are, yes. are and what you're pursuing? Or are you still measuring, you know, who you are against what the world thinks you should right. be or what you even think you should be? Right. Um, that was my, my whole 2018, you know, I was like, okay, I put an album out. So these are the goals that I have for this project. And this is what I want it to be. And this is where I want it to go. And by the time the year ended, I was like, okay, well, well, that didn't happen. <laughs> and yes, the whole year was that experience. Yeah. That. You really have. So. Especially because it was such an excellent thing. You're recording like the whole... To prepare for us talking together, I went back and just spent, Yeah. I mean, I've listened to it often, but I just um, went back and just, I'm sitting at my table really listening to it, not drawing. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so, so back to your essay, I want to kind of pull out a few of the ideas that mm-hmm. you have in your essay, um, because you talked about, you know, you have this vocation, you're working at creating something, um, a product, so to speak, mm-hmm. whether it's the record or the painting the book um but then you talk about the work that goes on around it not the creating work but the the work of getting it out there Mm -hmm. um you you also take some ideas of how can we think about it um scripturally and you um the first idea was do your planning and prepare your fields before building your house Mm -hmm. you know like your house is that product the the creative project but you say easy to think about and act on creating the product, but it's don't forget the process of getting it out into mm-hmm. the world. And so you talk about you know what is your network, what's the support that you've been creating, mm-hmm. so that when you get it out there, um, there's a network of places it can move into. Yeah, is that a good way to think about yeah, it? Yeah, most definitely. Um, so so there's places of you needing to to do research or to connect mm-hmm. with others. Um, you even say, do you believe in your vision to make others believe in it? Mm, yeah. So yeah. creating that foundation. What does that look like for you now? Like you've been doing music making for a long time. Mm-hmm. What What is your planning and preparing 
look like for you Ugh, these days oh well maybe i'll backtrack a little bit because at the end of the day i feel like you know especially with social media you can spend we we can spend so much time connecting quote unquote and you know putting our feelers out there and letting people know who we are through our branding and through our social media but i still feel like the the lasting relationships end up happening in person um and through really connecting with people in conversation and presence mm-hmm. um and so at the end of the day i really think like when you're planning a field it's all about um actually physically sowing those seeds and um being around the the people or maybe the the connections that you hope that will feed into what you're doing mm-hmm. but not using um not using those relationships like uh, someone i can't remember who who this was a friend of mine years ago you know he was like what it would be really cool if we went and had coffee dates with people just to get to know who they were not as a precursor to doing a project together like what if you were you just you thought people were interesting and you wanted to get to know them and you weren't meeting with the visual artist simply because you wanted to collaborate or the photographer simply because you wanted to like covertly ask them to take free photos for you or something yes (laughs) (laughs) like what if every relationship started as a friendship and that eventually down the line if you do happen to need their services that friendship was already established and um that is something that I truthfully wasn't doing well years ago, but has been something that I've been doing uh, more of now, you know, just trying to connect with people and get to know people um, simply because I want to know more about them, know more about what they do and what they're excited about. Um, And knowing that eventually if I do need uh, their services or what they have to offer, or if I know other people who need their services, that it can be an easy form of connection. It's a way of not using people. Mm-hmm. Right? It's a way of, of paying attention yeah. and and loving other people. Too. And you get to be part of their journey, too. Yes. You know, it's mutual. They get to be part of your journey, mm-hmm. but you get to know more about what they do and follow the trajectory of it. Um, it just ends up, I think, being making for stronger connections. Mm-hmm. And uh, It also seems like another way to do culture care. Yeah. Because we're all part of a community or a culture yeah. And that cares for them in a way that acknowledges their real humanness. Yeah. No, yeah. when Ned and I were younger, I mean, we still love Charlie Peacock, um, but when we were in our beginning of our 20s, mm-hmm. we were just huge fans. Yeah. And we would go see him, and he would recognize us, mm. and he'd recognize other people, and he'd come up to us and talk to us. And yeah. there's this generous spirit that mm-hmm. he had. And it was wonderful. We ended up becoming friends, and yeah, through yeah. his friendship, and his wife's friendship, then we were able to learn things. Mm-hmm. Like they would talk about the books they were reading or the things they were learning, and we were just so wanting to learn and yeah. grow in wisdom and and what it meant to also be an artist and a wife of an artist. Yeah, yeah. But then they, in the end, opened up doors for us to actually help us get Score Halo going, just wow. by their encouragement and by their involvement in it. But it was by his generous spirit, yeah. not knowing where it was actually going to take him. Exactly. Yeah. But his being aware of seeing people mm. and being grateful and not just thinking of them as fans, even mm-hmm. though like we really were, <laughs> people <laughs> yeah. will tease us. Um, but that he ended up seeing us as friends and yeah. he did that with other people. And that yeah. opens the door for 
for goodness that you don't know what that's going to look like right down the road. yeah it's so, so good it was very uh. a good part of our story yeah so you even move on you use that planting metaphor you talk about watering um you pull out the Colossians 3.23, work willingly at whatever you do mm-hmm. as though you're working for the Lord mm-hmm. rather than for people. And you just talk about, you know, you're preparing the ground, you're planting the seed, but then you keep watering and pruning and watering. And you, but sometimes we're not going to get the immediate uh, mm. fruit of what we think it's going to look like. Yeah. You know, yeah. what, as you think about using that metaphor, water, watering, what, what, what does that look like? What does it look wow. like? So you've you've worked on the ground, and now mm-hmm. you're taking that that creative project, and you're wanting to see it flourish. Yeah. But you're yeah. also, um, yeah, you're waiting to see what success looks like. Yeah. For, wow. I mean, I feel like I have just lived this part of the story in such a like. I mean. It, <sighs> the last four or five years and really the whole time I've been in Philadelphia has been like a stretching a stretching time and a growing time and from the start of working on this last album Bigger Than Your Box um, I didn't quite know what it was going to be when I started it um, and it wasn't until writing Hold On, one of my songs that it started to all come together and I had this one hold on was was finally written and I had an, uh, an understanding of what the album was going to be called and the themes that were going to kind of tie themselves together I knew that it was going to be another three years until it came out mm. um, and I knew that one I had to finish writing the songs for the album um, you know had to get funding for the album had to kind of be in that incubator space where I was creating the album and pre- prepping for it to be released it, it was all there. Like I saw every part of it, but I literally couldn't explain it to people. Like I, I mean, I could tell people what the marketing plan was, but they didn't see it. Like nobody saw anything, and it was literally uh, a strong, sol- a solid three years, uh, about five years in total. But three years when I knew, I knew what the the game plan was, and I knew when it was going to come out and everything. And I just remember, you know, sitting at my keyboard, finally like arranging the songs, and literally just being, you know, I lived in a house with three other people at that time, so I would just like wait for them to go to work, and then I would just go to my piano, and because I can't write when people are around, I don't know why. (laughs) I would be the same way. Yeah, and I just, I just was at my keyboard almost every day working on these songs and really just formulating things and figuring out what was going to happen and when it was going to happen and how it was going to happen. And the whole time I I wanted to be able to be like, look, this is what it, what it is. But even still, because it didn't actually physically exist, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not that people wouldn't believe me, but it's like, I had nothing to show, you know? Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's like any creative project. There's always that time where you're creating it and it doesn't exist. And, And that always amazes me, like how the imagination takes things from not existing into actually physically tangibly and vis- vis- visibly existing and so yeah. so yeah this whole idea of watering is so important because we know when we plant the seed it's there you know you can't see it for weeks for months you know and, and this is why I love plants because I have this orchid that I had to prune a few months ago and I'm like waiting for the stock to come up and I'm waiting 
for the flowers to reappear and I'm starting to see the roots you know new roots grow and things like that and I'm just like waiting for the payoff yes. <laughs> and I don't yes. know when it's gonna happen but right. it's gonna happen and right. I'm just gonna just sit, sit and wait <laughs> so it's like that idea of there's the hard work mm-hmm. that you're called to do yeah you're in a vocation you're in a calling it's not like you're it's all going to magically happen. Yeah. God's just going to hand it to you on a platter. Yeah. So yeah. there's that hard work, but then there's that waiting. Yeah. And yeah. Some of that waiting I can imagine, and any waiting for a Christian is also yeah. trusting the Lord. Yeah. It's trusting the Lord to. You, you um, talk about how you invest in your work as if. It has been commissioned by the Lord himself. Mm, mm-hmm. you, I, that was a quote that really grabbed my attention, that he's mm-hmm. like the ultimate investor. Yeah. So you're working hard, you're waiting, but he's put an investment in yeah. somehow. Um, so you're waiting for him to also bear the fruit that's part of his kingdom. Yeah, that means so much to me, and, and maybe I should go back and read, read that <laughs> essay. Maybe I encourage you to go back and say, hey, that's not as... Yeah, oh, that's uh, it means so much to me because I think about all the moments over the past 14 or so years where I didn't feel like I was getting, you know, encouragement from mm-hmm. people around me, people who were really close to me and wanting to throw in the towel yes. so many times. But somewhere in the back of my mind, knowing that this was something that God had given me to do, mm-hmm. even when I questioned my own talents and my own ability to actually see it through, there was always like this voice saying, no, this is where you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And I know God had, had been saying over and over again and has been saying, like, what you what you do is, is worthwhile. It's worth the effort. And it's worth the work. Um, and... I and when I'm talking to other artists, I'm, I always say, you know, if what you do only matters when people are watching, then it's you're not supposed to be doing it. Because if if you care about it when nobody else does, that's how you know you should keep doing it. And we also live now in a generation where, especially with you know shows like The Voice and American Idol, that idea of instant fame is glorified, it and is. the idea of doing things because other people are watching you is glorified. Uh, and so what would it look like if we did things even when no one was praising us, knowing that because we started from that foundation, when we do it and people are praising us, we're not doing it for the praise. Right. And it makes all the difference and it changes it changes everything. Yeah. You talked about, um, well, you talk about, on your fa- when I saw you on Facebook, when I saw a post on Facebook mm-hmm. about when you were speaking at Jubilee this year mm-hmm. on vocation, and you you say that um, the the slowness mm-hmm. of creating art. So you, t- yeah. you like here in the essay, you've talked about some of the hard work mm-hmm. as well as the waiting, and I hear you saying now the slowness of art making mm-hmm. you know, can you be in the slowness of it yeah because we are we are so are through through history as as american history moves forward mm-hmm. we somehow keep speeding up yeah and keep thinking that the dividends should happen like really quickly yeah um uh, yeah it's, we were at when we were at the culture uh the culture care conference uh in february someone was talking about I think it was Mako he was talking about um, how like at this point 
robots can pretty much do everything except for for creating slow moments and slow art mm. like they can make calculations instantly um, everything that we have our phones everything can happen like that exactly. um, and pretty much robots will replace humanity <laughs> for the things that aren't that don't require much thought or yes. much generativity you know mm-hmm. so slowness is going to be um, is going to be that one thing that will actually matter and that people will actually take time for and pay good money for mm-hmm. like learning how to save our experiences mm-hmm. again like and I already see it happening you know even with the whole idea of house concerts you know people are going back to things that aren't fueled by um, marketing you know the idea of pulling people into a club so that you can get as many people as possible buying drinks to make the club happy and mm-hmm. you know we're kind of moving away from that to a place where you come and you meet your neighbors and then you enjoy good music together and there's no technology involved and I think people are really starting to understand that slowness is is kind of where where we're headed and also mm-hmm. and mostly and probably because we need it now yes you know we're we, starting to see the need we're seeing the need for it yeah so other things you talk about in this essay also is about the waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, God calls us to wait a lot. Mm-hmm. It seems like, you know, he might have called us to something. Yeah. And sometimes there's a, a quick thing that seems that maybe keeps us going. Mm-hmm. But sometimes he's quiet and he's silent. Yeah. How have you walked through maybe when God's called you to wait or when he has seemed quite silent? Uh-huh. And you brought that up that... Back in 2013, you'd had a year of waiting and times where the Lord seemed silent and you felt like he was teaching you that you weren't in the driver's seat, that he was in the driver's seat. (laughs) Yeah. Those are hard things. God's silence. I. Yeah, God's funny. (laughs) Because I, yeah, I, I, I really, I remember 2011 being a year of just asking, okay, man, I don't have no idea what I'm doing. Like, I think at that point it was probably, you know, coming up on three years and having all these goals, like the three year plan, the five year Mm -hmm. plan. And by year three, I was just coming up empty and, and I didn't know what I wanted from music or why I was doing it. Um, so I remember being in that space where um, I was just sitting around and asking, okay, what's next? Like, how do I actually move forward and do something meaningful? And it was a really important year because I started to kind of re-strategize and, and learn ways to make what I was doing more enjoyable for myself um, and ultimately, hopefully, for other people, too, and so that I wasn't operating out of burnout. But the one thing I, I am learning is that when you learn like a lesson at one phase in your life, you almost kind of have to relearn it again later on mm-hmm. through a different, maybe even harder trial mm-hmm. to kind of determine whether or not that, that lesson you like, you actually learned it for and real. It's like <laughs> in you. Yeah. Is it like in you or do you think, do you think it was in you? Right. Right. And so all that to say last year was, was again, the relearning of, mm. of 2011 where, at that point, I I thought I had learned that I wasn't, you know, I wasn't in the driver's seat, but I didn't know anything. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, we talked about, you know, off, off of uh, the podcast, we had talked about Enneagram and all this stuff. And I've, in the past uh, six months or so, realized that I'm most likely a three, which is a doer and someone who is always about efficiency and how to be most effective. Um, and the last, last year when I had kind of, when the album came out and I had projected leading up to 2018 what I wanted to do and how the album was going to release and how amazing and successful it was going to be and all that stuff and coming to the end of the year and realizing that, you know, while looking on the outside in, it there were a lot of cool things that happened and it probably looked like more amazing things were happening than actually were. Mm. Um, it was for me a year where all of the doer in me um, realize that no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try and do things that you're not in control, <laughs> you know, uh, and it was the most hardest lesson I could have ever learned, um, uh, during the most difficult time. Cause at that point I was celebrating 10 years doing music full time. And I had this like huge 10 year plan of like everything taking off and it didn't happen. And it was definitely, a year of 100% waiting and just being like, wow, that did not go. You know, that was like, I had it projected. I had the statistics in my head, you know, I had like the probabilities figured out and and nope. (laughs) And so, yeah, like for me, the past nine months now, ever since fall is I've kind of like put a standstill on music. I'm still fulfilling you know, commitments and taking in, taking incoming requests of things that I feel like are worthwhile to spend my time at. But it's been a season of just sitting like a duck and waiting. Mm -hmm. Um, And there are a couple of things that are on the horizon I can't share about just yet. Um, But I've never experienced waiting in the way that I've experienced it over this past Mm -hmm. year. Um, And it's been so it's been so rewarding. Like it was really hard at first. It was like a reinforced, it was like an enforced stop or a yes. halt on my career that I didn't want. And I wasn't looking for Cause you weren't planning for I it. I sure wasn't. You were planning for the opposite. <laughs> it was the exact opposite. I was like, this album is coming out and I'm going to spend the next several years on the road touring and it's going to be only full band shows and it's going to be right. everything. The, the reviews of this album have been great mm. whenever yeah. I would look up the things that people were saying about it yeah um, yeah <laughs> and the waiting and the wondering yeah you know because oh, yeah. I was thinking you hear I was just listening to um a wonderful podcast um with an artist a musician in um Nashville. His name mm-hmm. is Eric Peters, and mm-hmm. he's oh, yeah. highly respected. Mm-hmm. People love his music, but he has he shared in this podcast that it hasn't turned out the way I planned it. And mm-hmm. I work different things that I do now, like either mowing the lawn, mm-hmm. mowing lawns, or I am mm-hmm. creating visual artwork. Um, but the reviews are always really solid, and yeah. the people who love him are yeah. out there. But there's not been that what you think yeah. it's going to be exactly um yeah and you said in 2013 you know that god is in the santa claus and i don't always get what i'm <laughs> what, I want. what i want but you also said which i thought is poetic and mysterious but how to think about i feel like i'm hearing you say what it looks like you mm. say that um waiting is a de- is defined as active readiness mm-hmm. it's not inaction mm-hmm. um, waiting forces us into a season of preparation mm-hmm. even if we might not know 
what that preparation is. And you Mm -hmm. encourage the reader to allow the waiting season to kind of wash over you. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you mean that for a cleansing, but like Mm -hmm. to be cleansed, the idea of water washing over you. But Mm -hmm. I'm hearing you say it felt like an enforced stop, Mm -hmm. but now it's grown to be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like... I remember going to my laptop because, you know, before this whole season kind of really landed on me, I remember, you know, my every my average day would be online anywhere from five to seven hours split across the day, booking, promo, just social media upkeep and doing whatever I could to just engage and share. Yeah, especially the booking and. And uh, when I started to, to feel like there was like a shift or a change happening, I would go to my laptop and I would be in front of my computer for like an hour or two and have nothing accomplished. I almost felt like my fingers were frozen. And I saw, I realized that in hindsight, like I, what I had a grace for during that time, like I, God, God had always given me a grace for, you know, doing the, the administrative stuff and knowing what I needed to do and how I needed to do it. And all of a sudden, sudden it was like that grace was lifted off and it was like, okay, that's not what you're supposed to be doing now. And it was like, this is what you're supposed to be doing. And I'm like, really? Like nothing? Like really? Like you want me to like read books and just sit here on my couch and just like rest? Like, I don't know how to do that. I have no idea how to do that. And that was the, one of the hardest things I've ever had to learn how to like stop and rest and I was actually my friends and I have like a weekly prayer call and I was like can you guys just pray for me like I'm becoming a procrastinator and I I don't know how to be responsible wow (laughs) which is totally different than yeah been like over the past yeah I mean there's all that's just something about balance anyhow but I just like it's the exact opposite where I just like it's it's been really hard but it's like a good place for me right now because I'm relearning how to just be mm-hmm. and um I've been calling it my year of like learning how to reclaim my rest mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. been and it's been a year of slowness but in the best kind of way um but it sounds yeah like a sabbath yeah I yeah. mean and, and you know in the old testament one of the reasons I found I just found this fascinating you know that one of the reasons that the lord looks at his children the israelites and they need to be disciplined mm-hmm. because they're not keeping the Sabbath yeah. the way they were called to keep the Sabbath. That there's yeah. something about making and creating, but also resting. Yeah, it's um, true. It's so true. And you talk about in this waiting time that that it's a time to s- seek God to, mm. you know, like yeah. sometimes it's the wrestling seeking, right? Like, God, what are you doing? Yeah. And then, um, then it's... Maybe the resting asking. Yeah. Oh, man. It was sometime late last fall. I don't know how or why, but I felt like God was giving me Isaiah 54 Mm. to read and reread and just study it over and over and to, like, claim it over my life. And Isaiah 54 always talks about... It talks about expanding, expanding the tent pegs, like expanding your territory. It talks about... Um, basically the chapter starts off with like you will not be this woman who who feels like she's been deserted by her husband and feels like she's barren but God will give you many children and I felt like God was saying I'm not done with you yet you're Mm -hmm. not going to be shamed Uh, there's this verse in in there about like 
feeling like feeling embarrassed and mm. I thought wow what are the last like 10 years of my life been I feel like mm. I've invested so much and all of a sudden everything I've invested has come to nothing mm. and I felt like God was saying you you are not going to feel like this woman who's been left behind or this woman who has um, not produced any fruit but instead I'm going to expand your tent pegs and I'm going to make you stronger than ever. And then it Mm. goes on to talk about different like jewels, like turquoise and sapphire and all these things and what those things mean. And I kept reading that chapter over and over again. I was like, I do not resonate with any Any of this this. and I am angry (laughs) and I don't do not know why you're telling me that this is what I'm supposed to be believing for my life right now. Because it doesn't um, look like it. Because it didn't look like it. Yeah. yeah. And, like, there have been a, a couple really amazing things that have happened over the last uh, three months now, three or four mm-hmm. months now. And then I can't wait to share mm-hmm. publicly. I remember you um, posting that. And I'm like, oh. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of waiting for the story to finish writing itself. Yes. But it's been him showing up and just being like, see, I told you. And it's been cool. <laughs> and in, in Isaiah, which I forget where it is, but he says, in returning and rest will be your salvation. Oh. You know? And like, ooh. <laughs> and I've always that loved out. that verse. <laughs> I hope I'm saying it correctly, that I haven't memorized it yeah. totally, completely uh. wrong. But just that idea of returning to him and resting in him. Mm, and yeah. there's salvation in that. It's so good. Um, so... So the last part of that essay that you write is about the reaping. Um, And you encourage people by saying, we do bring joy to the Lord when we create. Mm. Which kind of, I feel like, connects to that idea of, can you create outside of the world watching you? Mm. Can you create and do this creative work knowing that the Lord is watching you, Mm. doing it unto the Lord? Um, You know, you encourage the reader that you can sit on your talents Mm. Mm -hmm. that he's given you, knowing that the Lord does want you to put it out there. Yeah. Um, but in a way, like I feel like you've been learning. I feel like we've been learning this as a, um, as Ned as an artist that the reaping is in His hands mm-hmm. too. Yeah, that what's coming out is a part of His work. Yeah, yeah. Um, totally agree. I think God takes pleasure in our creating. You know, and the first thing he did was he created. He creates. So that's like that's who we are. Like we're creators, um, and I think that there's there's so much beauty in creating in a private place. It's almost like a meditation of sorts mm-hmm. and a practice. Um, I think that there's beauty, just as much beauty in sharing it. And one of uh, one of the things that I am constantly constantly reminding myself is that even when I create. And because I create in private and by myself, it's it's usually, at least most of the material that I've created up till this point, it's usually been to edify or encourage me, but it doesn't stay there. And I think yes. the idea of Bigger Than The Box was to, for the first time, write an album that while some of the songs were birthed out of my personal experiences, they were for other people. And so the idea of creating for yourself usually lends itself to creating for other people. Yes. Mm-hmm. I know for our family, for for our daughter Ellie and for me, and we listened to your CD a lot going mm-hmm. into school, um, mm-hmm. especially the Hold On. Mm-hmm. You know, and we've talked about, you know, what that meant for us, you know, mm-hmm. as Ellie has struggled with chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then other daughters who have experienced hard disappointments. Mm-hmm. And and 
the first couple of times I would hear that song, mm. I was just sobbing because you had taken a, an I, something that was personal in mm-hmm. your own life to mm-hmm. create a song, but the way you crafted that song spoke our stories. Yeah. And then, but encouraged our story too, yeah. which was so yeah. beautiful. I remember yeah. I was driving Ellie to a doctor's appointment and I am bawling and she has never <laughs> seen me bawl that much, but I'm driving and Ellie's Did she like, get that on video? Are gonna be okay? <laughs> and are we going to get there? Okay. Um, but even your song ever stay, mm, you know, that's mm, another song we would play that yeah. seemed that would come up often about, um, I mm. resonate with the take all that I am, mm. take my faults, take my pride and my plans. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no room for you and you try, but you never get through. Mm. But by the end of the song, you're like, oh, he is getting through. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But take it all. Take all that I've done. My heart's so tired. I mean, those are yeah. real words that I think everyone can yeah. take hold of. Yeah. But by the end, your words of just ever stay. I love how you bring it to the psalm, to mm. the psalm of um, nowhere I hide that you cannot go, no place, no shadow that is in your home, still yeah. you ever stay. Mm. Like, we need to hear those songs. Like, mm. we need words that voice our sadness and our sorrow and our suffering. Yeah. But yeah. to then give us that hope. Yeah. You know, the God who is is in the shadows but actually is light yeah his light breaks through the shadows oh man that's so Um, good so my question I wanted another question I want to ask you is one of my favorite things that you wrote in that essay was at the very end Mm -hmm. and it was a quote from someone else and it's basically um, may 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 what we see is beautiful be what we do oh yeah Um, may the beauty we love be be what what we we do do. and so what is the beauty that you are doing right now? Oh, wow. I mean, I've seen some really neat things that you've been doing. You know, we were talking about mm. what you did at Philadelphia Museum of Art. Yeah. Um, but what is the beauty that you love? And and maybe that beauty is resting right now. But it seems like you're still re- uh, out there doing yeah. concerts. Yeah. What is some beauty that you're doing that you love? <sighs> well, I, I, I feel like I've been... Hmm. I guess I've been pickier about what I'm doing, Hmm. you know, Um, partly because I don't want to burn myself out, but partly because when I'm pickier about the type of events I'm at and playing, I know that I'm there because I'm choosing to be Hmm. there because I want Hmm. to be there. Um, And it makes all the difference in how I perform and how I connect with the audience. Um, And I'd shared earlier that I feel like for me, music making is hospitality. And it's been, it's been so much more important now than it ever has um, to, and it's probably, I, I was talking to you off of the, off of the interview about just being in a new neighborhood mm-hmm. and just kind of um, really spending time in a different demographic that I've ever spent in my life and getting to know my neighbors in a way that I've never had the opportunity to, to, to do, um, mainly because I've always been gone. I've always been traveling. And I've, I've never really kind of stayed put. Um, and so this is the first time in my life where I'm like staying put. And, and it's interesting for me to think of hospitality not just in in the sense of like music making and fans but as in neighbors uh and seeing my neighbors 
as just as important as significant as the people that I've been playing for my whole life. Um, and so I, I think I, th- I would say for the first time in my life, like hospitality has, has taken on a whole new, has taken on like a bigger, uh, a, a bigger meaning. Um, and I've, I'm learning how to, you know, not go and show hospitality to other people in different cities and then come out and come home and hide out in my apartment, mm-hmm. but to actually, you know, sit on the porch, you know, go to community meetings and, and get to know my neighbors. Yes. Yeah. That is beautiful. <laughs> well, Joy, yeah. this has been a wonderful conversation. This has been really <laughs> grateful. So thank you Thanks. for joining me in our Square Halo podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Good things. <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Square Halo. You can download a free sample from the title we discussed today by visiting the podcast page at squarehalobooks.com. In art, a Square Halo identified a living person who was considered to be a saint. Square Halo Books is devoted to publishing works useful for equipping and encouraging today's saints. I hope you are encouraged and will join me again for other conversations.